Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. We can be pretty good in the mental health industry at trying to polish up the dull side of a penny and finding advantages. And certainly one of the advantages I found about the lockdowns was how much more immersed in nature I was able to be. So it gave me time to slow everything down and I was going out for more walks and I even started running. So being able to see, um, you know, spring emerging and, you know, making way for summer, making way for autumn and then winter as well and seeing the change in the seasons for me felt like a really nice opportunity. And people during lockdown found new ways to welcome kind of nature and wildlife into their daily lives and into their well-being too and into their schedules too. Um, I made contact um, with somebody who is a, a nature wildlife specialist um, because I thought it'd be really nice for us to learn a bit about the benefits of being out and about in the outdoors but also thinking about the benefits we can highlight to our clients through something called green prescribing. We are all human and my guest contacted me after we'd recorded this to say that he had accidentally got spring watch and autumn watch muddled up. So it isn't spring watch that's going to be um, potentially discontinued, it's autumn watch. So when you get to that bit, um, if you're watching on YouTube, it will pop up on the screen to explain the mix up. But if you um, get to that bit and you're listening on the podcast, then yeah. We mean the other way around. Um, So it's not spring watch that's potentially stopping. It is autumn watch. So I hope that clears up any confusion. I have also been notified that you can actually do reviews um, and ratings on Spotify. So I know most of you do listen on Spotify. That is our most popular streaming platform. So if you indeed are listening on Spotify please do take a moment to rate and review the show. I don't use Spotify. I haven't got Spotify. So I don't know how to talk you through that process. But if you do use Spotify, do have a little look and let me know. Maybe send me some screenshots of how you do it so I can explain it to other people. That would be so wonderful. So I hope you find today's episode really useful. Um, Yeah. It's a little bit different today, but I think it's really useful to give you a breadth of things that are useful to you 
as an aspiring psychologist and a mental health professional. So if you find it useful, I'll catch up with you on the other side. So welcome to my guest today, Dan Lovard. Hi. Hi, Marion. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Thanks for asking. How are you? Yes, I'm good, thank you. So um, I'm on your mailing list for where you work, which is how I heard about you and your work. Um, And I was intrigued to learn a little bit more and to help our audience learn a little bit more about wildlife and being out in nature and how that can be really beneficial for our mental health if we are working in mental health and also for our clients that we work with as well. Yeah, so I'm happy to talk more about um, what we offer at Warwickshire Wildlife Trust. So we had a um, we have a health and wellbeing team, and um, they deliver a variety of different um, opportunities for people to be inspired and engage in um, nature activities. So we run wellbeing courses, um, which are in line with the five ways to wellbeing, which you might be aware of. Um, they're the nationally recognised. Um, approaches, if you like, um, that the NHS came up with. Um, and we've put that in a nature context, um, which has worked really well. And um, we've received so much positive um, uh, feedback and stories from them being a part of those courses. Um, so, yeah, I, I can delve into a little bit more about those courses. So, um, like I said, they're in line with the five ways. And um, those five ways are um, connect, um, take notice, um, give back, get active, and learn something new. So, putting that into a nature context, you know, there's um, activities that we can run in line with those approaches. So, um, macro photography, volunteering, so things like tree planting, for example, um, going for a long walk, um, and running some mindfulness activities. Um, which have all been really impactful ways for people to connect with nature and with the people around them as well. Um, and then other things that we um, run within the health and wellbeing team um, are bushcraft activities, so a bit more hands-on practical fire lighting activities. So um, sort of bring out um, sort of like you're in a kid in a way um, when you might go into the woods and um, do um, a, a variety of different things. Um, and uh, and then also uh, we run uh, volunteering activities, um, which we do as an organisation. We, we offer those um, across the board, actually, in our organisation. So um, we have 65 nature reserves and um, within those the volunteers that we have, about 700, they're the lifeblood of our organisation um, for us to um, be managing those sites to support wildlife. So um, we run volunteering activities for um, people um, that experience poor ill health um, that may have been signposted by their GPs, um, along with other social prescribers as well. And um, then they can get out onto our nature reserves with one of our um, project officers and um, yeah, get stuck in and um, use nature in a sort of green prescribing way, if you like. 
Brilliant. And that's really powerful. And I think it's like you said, it's the mindfulness aspect of it. Um, mm. But also, it's like people can feel a bit apprehensive about doing things that are new. But it sounds like that doesn't need to be the case when you're when you go into these wildlife centres, because there will be people who are really thrilled to talk to you and guide you through what you might be looking at or what you might like to look for. Yes, definitely. So um, we do completely um, recognise that there are some barriers um, with people accessing nature, uh, whether that be a fear of um, safety um, and being out on their own in um, a woodland, for example, can be um, daunting for some people. Um, and maybe they don't feel that nature's for them um, and it's not relevant to their lives. But as an organisation, we're really keen to um, instill a level of nature into people's lives because we know how important and powerful it is to nurture people's mental health so yeah we are as welcoming as we can be and we do go out into the community quite a lot through our outreach work to inspire and connect um, the more disengaged um, audiences in um, society within Warwickshire, Coventry and Solihull. Yeah, and it, you know what I'm—I've been to your um, to your centre with my specifically with my young children when they were a little bit younger. And what I really like is you've got a cafe there as well, and there's a TV where at the time you could see like I think it was kestrels on the roof of a local building with their little their little chicks. Was it kestrels? I'm not sure. So they're um, peregrines. So peregrine um, falcons. They're okay. in the same family of birds of prey. Um, but yeah, they're uh, we um, have a webcam. Um, which is in a, it's a partnership project with Warwick District Council and um, yeah we have a successful pair of nesting peregrines in the town hall in Leamington um, so we also have access to the webcam feed and yes um, we play that along with um, some of the smaller bird box birds like blue tits and great tits and things um, that we have on our reserves um, and that's um, such an intimate way to connect with nature isn't it seeing the whole breeding cycle of them raising their chicks to them fledging it's yeah really fantastic isn't it it really was and it was fascinating stuff and to sit there with my little boy and have our lunch and watch these baby chicks eating their lunch like it was really really nice so that yeah and I guess if and I think you also had bird tables set up outside the windows to the cafe as well so even if you're not feeling that confident or if you're not that good kind of mobility wise about getting out and about there's ways for you to engage with nature and see stuff that you might not see in your own house or from your own balcony um, by going to these centres that might just really kind of lift your soul so I really liked that about the centre actually. Yeah it's a very inviting space um, and we're trying to make it as inclusive as possible um, within our means um, and uh, yeah like you said the cafe is a great space for people that may not be as mobile but we do have some mobility scooters but not loads so you know some people have to sometimes wait um, so that we can get um, that level of access onto the nature reserve at Brandon Marsh which is our headquarters um, but yes um, if they just want a cup of tea and to look out of the window we always have the bird feeders full and yeah it attracts so much wildlife not just the birds actually we've had monk jack deer foxes um yeah a real mix of um, wildlife i love that my little boy told me that i had to ask you he's six and a half i had to ask you about <laughs> certain wildlife whether you have it or you don't have it and i was like mm, i think some of these he definitely won't have a flamingo 
Okay, so that's a definite no, but it would be great. Okay. But no. Yeah. <laughs> he asked about foxes, and you've said yes to foxes. Yeah. That's Badgers. Badgers. Uh, yes, um, most likely we do. Um, I'm not aware of any badger sets, so that's the um, network of underground tunnels where they live. Um, I'm not aware of any that are active, but I wouldn't be surprised if badgers use our nature reserve, even if they don't live there, if that makes sense. Okay. And I know moles are not always people's friends, especially like farmers. Do you have moles no. and do you like them if you do? Well, I love all wildlife. Um, okay. And I know that's a biased thing to say. Um, I know people aren't like a fan of certain things because, um, you know, creepy coolies and all of that. But I, I like to try and break that stigma because if, um, you know, um, if we can change, I suppose, the narrative on certain um, wildlife being scary or maybe a bit gross, um, I think that can, um, especially with the younger generation, um, I think that will be a, a good way to, I suppose, break down that barrier of um, nature not always being for me, I suppose, as well. But um, in answer to your question about the moles, I like moles. Um, they have a part of um, what, what, um, what I mean is that they're a part of our ecosystem. Um, they have their place. Um, in terms of them being on our nature reserve, I, I think they would be. But I don't see any mole hills on our reserves that often. So, again, I don't know if they use it that much. But, I mean, they use them in my garden a lot because <laughs> there's loads of mole hills. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for entertaining my six-and-a-half-year-old. He'll be delighted to know those answers. Um, and, welcome. yeah, as, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, when I grew up, I was outside so much. I constantly had my hands in the dirt or was playing with insects. I don't know if you're supposed to play with them. Um, you know, putting them in jars and having a look at them and then putting them back, of course. Um, and like, you know, slugs, I still don't like slugs very much. They are quite ugly creatures. But, you know, moving snails and looking at caterpillars and, you know, butterflies. And I just, I don't think our young people are getting out as often as that and certainly not getting their hands muddy. They're more disgusted by by that, I think, um, in my experience, certainly of parenting. How's that playing out for you um, as you try and educate young people about the benefits of being outside? Well, particularly with the younger generation, um, like you were saying, um, I think um, I can definitely see and at the trust we can see that there is this, um, uh, I suppose, culture, if you like, um, and mindset about um, being outdoors in the, mud, in the mud is like a bad thing. Um, and our education team um, are fantastic at, um, I suppose, breaking that stigma a little bit um, and that mindset by working with schools and um, families um, to really get stuck in that like we have a mud kitchen um, at um, Brandon Marsh, um, like a little education um, area um, and also we have um, a den building woods um, which is a great way for uh, the younger generation in particular but I'm very happy to do it myself um, is uh, things like den building so uh, that's a great way of nature play isn't it um, just going outdoors and being creative out in nature, which I think is a really important thing. Sounds like you've got an absolutely great job, Dan. <laughs> I'm just... I, was just saying, I was just saying that I do love my job, yes. Um, 
I've done elements of all of the things that I've mentioned to you. Um, you know, I have done some work with families before. Um, I've delivered some of the well-being um, projects as well and doing the courses and the um, volunteering. Um, yeah, so my my role and my conservation career so far has been very diverse, which I really love. Brilliant. It shines out of you. It's lovely to see. And I know um, before you were an Action for Nature officer, you were doing the kind of health and well-being role. So there might potentially be scope for people that are interested in nature to still do things that is, you know, kind of clinically relevant as well, potentially. You're still using outcome measures for some of your interventions. You're kind of rubbing up alongside people who are doing you know, patch PhDs or research. Um, and it's a good chance to work with, you know, a wide variety of people. Yeah, de definitely. So we welcome um, people that are in research posts um, to um, approach us um, with their project idea for um, gaining um, their research. Um, and uh, also to shadow us as well, to get a um, greater perspective of what we do as an organisation. Um, we've worked with a variety of different um, PhD students um, in the past. So, um, you know, we, we do welcome that interest and we might not be always able to facilitate and support them, but it's worth reaching out just in case. Um, so uh, in terms of the current work that we're offering in the health and wellbeing team, so we're still running those five ways to wellbeing courses um, at different um, areas in the county. Um, and we are running volunteering opportunities and wellbeing walks as well um, through our project called The Environment and Me, which is shortened to TEAM, which I think is really nice. Um, really sort of... Um, Yes, it's, it's a great project um, that's started in um, Coventry and um, now they've expanded across um, Warwickshire as well, where they're delivering a variety of different um, opportunities in different areas um, for people that are experiencing um, mental ill health. But um, you don't have to be diagnosed with depression or anxiety, for example, to access those opportunities. Some people do feel like, oh, they need to have that label, if you like, or diagnosis when that isn't the case. Um, um, we welcome and are open to a variety of different people from all sorts of backgrounds coming to those opportunities, um, where some um, opportunities may be more suitable than others. Um, and if you, uh, just typed in on Google Warwickshire Wildlife Trust um, health and well-being there will be the current opportunities that we have um, that may be relevant um, and that you can um, come to. Brilliant so would volunteering roles be up there as well or is that a case of contacting your local wildlife trust to explore what might be an option? So with the volunteering at Warwickshire Wildlife Trust um, Again, you can easily find that on our website. So if you just type in um, Watch Wildlife Trust volunteering onto Google, there'll be a page which um, outlines the process you need to go through to be enrolled as a volunteer and then maybe have a taste session with um, the relevant reserves officer 
um, that um, is covering that area. So we have um, a north, south, east and west reserves officer. Um, so it just depends on maybe the geography of where that person is. So if they're Leamington based and they want to really be around that area, then our volunteer coordinator, Wendy, can um, align your interests and availability with the right opportunities, basically. So it just makes it an easy process. Um, Brilliant. And one thing um, I wanted to touch on, because I know you did mention it before, um, but I haven't mentioned it yet, is the sort of interventions and the measuring of um, the work that we do. So with some of our projects within the health and wellbeing team in particular, we do track people's um, state of wellbeing and mood through the Warwick Edinburgh Mental Wellbeing Scale. So that's a, um, a great way to measure the impact that um, our opportunities have on people's lives. So I think a really important aspect is the anecdotal evidence. So the stories that you capture just out on the reserve when you're walking with that person, just saying how this has been a lifeline for them. Um, because I was running those um, opportunities that I referenced before in COVID. So um, it was um, a tricky time for people um, with social isolation and loneliness. And um, those opportunities were a great gateway for them to um, access nature and support their mental health and meet new people as well. And I know some people that have actually started leading um, walks with the people that were on the same course, on the same nature reserve that I was running those sessions. So I think that's just such a positive outcome to our offer. Um, but yes, um, alongside that, I was tracking people's um, state of well-being from the start and then there was a midpoint questionnaire that we we put in um, and it gave to the um, people and then there was um, an end one so um, we would be able to track um, things like their mood um, and general sort of thoughts and feelings um, as well. That's great it's always good to be able to evidence that what you do works isn't it? Yeah and, and, and it's a great way to highlight um, the importance to um, organisations um, and government bodies like the NHS, for example, where we're trying and we are working with them on a local level to um, create this green prescribing approach. And there is, this, there is a, a big thing around social prescribing, which really does have its place and it's so important. And we are integrated within that system where we've built up contacts with certain social prescribers that are attached to GPs. Um, so they will um, refer some of their clients where appropriate to our um, services. But also we do feel like there's a need to actually have a green prescribing approach because we just know how so important the um, um, being outdoors in nature is, is like, um, you know, is for people's mental health. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's... Um, a slow process but we're really keen on it being um, something that's integrated within the health system. Yeah brilliant and you touched on lockdowns there and I know for some people that's a time where they really started to get more into their gardening or you know observing what was going out of outside the window. Um, have you seen many you know more of an uptake since lockdown or people being more interested in the outside world? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think particularly when I was running the wellbeing courses and the volunteering, 
there was a lot of interest because I think COVID allowed people for a variety of reasons to slow down um, and maybe reassess their their lifestyle and how they led their lives. Um, so I think a lot of people um, have engaged with nature more positively and have maintained that as well. Um, whereas I know some people probably wouldn't have done. So it was maybe they'll put in that situation of, well, you know, you can't do anything else apart from go for a walk for an hour outside your house. Um, which I still think was obviously really important for them at the time, but life takes over and maybe they weren't able to maintain that once things relax a little bit more. But I do know a lot of people and also, you know, that sort of through my work where I've been able to have these discussions where they've spoken about how it's just changed their lives and for the, you know, for the foreseeable and for the better. Yeah. And do you think um, the Spring Watch and Autumn Watch shows with Chris Packham and Michaela Strachan, does that help people understand more? And are you getting people coming in saying, oh, I saw this on there? You know, I really wanted to see it like um, up close or close to me. Yeah, definitely. I think those documentaries um, and those shows, um, uh, they have a real place on mainstream TV. And I really hope they don't go because i heard recently about spring watch being taken down which is really upsetting <laughs> like we've got one more spring watch and then they may not bring it back um which was um, a real shame because those oh, sort no, of that shows is a shame provide... i hadn't heard that yeah like um i think it is set i think it was mainly a, a budget decision um from the bbc but i don't know the whole ins and outs um, i don't want to be controversial on here um but <laughs> essentially um those shows are they provide so much inspiration for people and um i think with um spring watch autumn watch and winter watch they're really good at um changing that narrative particularly at the end for people to take action as well for nature because um you know um, i'm sure a lot of us know that there is an environmental crisis and, and an ecological crisis um and what we want to do with how we work with communities um, as an organisation is um, encouraging people to take action for wildlife um, on a local level. So whether that be um, doing some more wildlife friendly gardening um, or um, changing the way you commute to work or, 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 you know, a variety of different things that are fitting and tailored to their lives and you know it's suitable for them um so yeah those shows are a great way and align with the sort of how we want to engage with communities which is taking action as well so it's providing that inspiration but then also leading to um, a call to action as well it's also really useful to think about how the message about what you do and you know what we what you know populates out um you know to wider organizations as well so i know especially in coventry um, which is where i'm from some of the roundabouts in coventry have been put down to wildflower planting rather yeah. than constantly mowing them it's probably saves the it probably saves the money that's probably what their main mm -hmm. um, main goal is but it's so lovely to see and it must be better for the wildlife surely oh it is yeah so i think they started doing that when the um, city of culture came to coventry um so um the council 
um, may have had some funding to um, start that process. Um, but I think it it's um, something that should be changed um, for um, the for sort of the or should be integrated into their management for the long term um, because it's so inviting to have that burst of colour when you um, arrive into Coventry. It's great for pollinators. Um, and like you said, on a financial perspective, um, they don't have to know it as much. So I think it's a win-win situation, really. Absolutely. And how are the bees? Have you have you got bees on Brandon? Yeah, so um, we we have a lot of um, wildflowers um, on our nature reserve or nature reserves like um, all of our um, reserves do have um, you know a variety of different wildflowers which support pollinators uh, not just bees um, moths butterflies wasps um, amongst others um, so yeah we definitely try um, to manage our reserves to be as sympathetic as possible to a diversity of wildlife not just for a specific species um we feel on the whole because there is such a nature decline on you know across the board really that our approach should be to then manage our reserves in a way which is best for as much wildlife as possible Thank you. I absolutely agree. How did you get into wildlife and, you know, start to think about making it your career, Dan? So it sounds a bit cliche, but I, um, you know, from a young age, I've always loved nature and being outdoors. Um, and my dad bought my first pair of binoculars because um, I'm really into bird watching. And, um, you know, I remember going out to a country park um, and making bird boxes and bat boxes and taking them back home um i think that just sort of sparked an interest um from a very young age throughout um my life until where i am now and um, whereas sometimes there's always a bit of a gap and it sort of falls you know once you're in your teens and then you may get it back but for me i've, I've always sort of been interested in um nature and the outdoors um so i um, studied a conservation degree um, at Bangor University um, and uh, loved it there. I don't know if you've been to that area of North Wales, but it's just the perfect spot for um, doing a conservation degree. And um, then, yeah, from that point, I um, did some sort of short-term seasonal contracts as like a graduate level um, in um, a very unusual role so I was actually protecting rare seabirds on beaches in North Wales, Suffolk and Norfolk. Random but um, a really important job um, because they were threatened for a variety of different reasons um, and then I broadened out my um, uh, my um, sort of way of working in the conservation sector so um, one part of the role that, um, I really enjoyed when I was doing the seabird stuff was engaging in the, with the public. So I thought a community engagement role would be really fitting for me. So then um, I went to Warwickshire Wildlife Trust and um, got maternity cover and they haven't been able to get rid of me since. So. <laughs> a 
You're not going anywhere. I love that. No, no. If, you, <laughs> if you could offer our listeners kind of three top tips, either for themselves or for the clients they're supporting about ways to include wildlife more in their day-to-day lives, what might they be? Oh, good question. Put you on the, put you on um, the spot. Yeah, you have, but I'll try my best to answer. So um, I think one thing would be to go for a walk somewhere um, and consciously make an effort to appreciate your surroundings. So have like a mindful walk. Um, I think a lot of us just go from A to B um, and, you know, with our busy lives and, you know, know, we're all thinking, you know, I need to put this on my shopping list or I need to do this later when actually if we slow down and just um, connect with nature on a deeper level, I think that would be a really good way um, with practice. You know, it's not just something you can do at a click of a finger because I think we, we do have busy minds and it's not an easy process sometimes for people but with practice I think you can um, do a mindful walk and it be a part of your daily life and it doesn't have to be a long one um, so I would say that as my first one. Um, another one would be to learn something new um, about um, wildlife that you're maybe particularly keen um, uh, about and you know um, and finding out more about so if it was birds for example um, maybe downloading an app on your um, phone to find out more about um, the bird song um, that you're listening to and you don't know what it is so discovering a little bit more about what's around you as well um, and then you can share that with a family member or um, a friend um, and you're passing on that knowledge, which I think is a really positive thing as well and can lift people's mood. Um, and then another one I think would be to maybe um, go onto our website of Warwickshire Wildlife Trust. <laughs> um, I'm not going to try and plug too much, but um, we have um a a new way of working with communities and um, like i sort of mentioned earlier um, which is team wilder and we're wanting more people um to take action for wildlife like i was mentioning so um you know if you go on to that part of our website so um team wilder uh, watch wildlife trust just type that into google and um you'll find out more about what we're doing as an organization and we have a map um which people have been from um, the public have been plotting their actions for wildlife so you can maybe get some inspiration about what people are doing and maybe nearby where you live so it'd be interesting to see if you live in um coventry for example there may be some people that have plotted something in from what they've done in their gardens um so some positive actions that may inspire you to also do the same or if you're already doing something that would be fantastic to hear from you about what you're doing and then you can contribute um, and then we can capture that and um, you know those actions and those stories um, which is a yeah a, a great um, way for us to 
know what people are doing um, for nature. It really, it really is. Thank you for your tips. I know I put you on the spot there, but you did very well. People are listening probably um, nationally and sometimes even internationally. Um, we've so far, I realised yesterday, covered something like 38% of the world have listened to an episode of the podcast, which is pretty incredible. Wow, is there, is fantastic. Team Wilder, yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Team, is yeah. Team Wilder a, just a localised approach or does it does it go more... Um, broadly outside in the UK do you know? So it goes across um, the UK actually so um, I don't know if the listeners are aware of the wildlife trusts um, and how they work but it's actually a um, network of individual wildlife trusts so there's a Warwickshire Wildlife Trust, there's an Essex Wildlife Trust, Norfolk Wildlife Trust etc etc so primarily county-based and um we work together as a movement as well so we are separate entities and we do have our own aims and aspirations but they are very similar to other wildlife trusts but we as a collective we have a lot more power um to create the changes that we want to for nature and people so um the team wilder approach um is a part of that collective so if there was someone that was listening um in um, Essex, for example, there are um, teams in that organisation that are, at, at the moment, um, you know, uh, taking this approach to um, Team Wilder and um, having more people take action for wildlife. Um, yeah, so um, in answer to your question, um, yes, so um, people can find out more in their local area as well. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for your passion for wildlife and helping us learn a bit more about why it's useful and how it can be really part of somebody's day to day life, which might well impact on their well-being in a really positive way. No, you're welcome. Yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm really glad you did reach out um, to us um, because we're really wanting more people to um, be inspired um, and and connect to nature and um as i keep saying this take action but i think it's just so important that um we're doing our own bit for um, the environment um because those small actions can amount to um, a, a large and positive and significant impact Great. I will obviously make sure I put all of your um, Wildlife Trust um, website address details in the show notes so people can absolutely access that speedily if they want to. But thank you so much for your time today, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to our guest, Dan Lovard. Um, Really lovely speaking with him and really thoughtful guy that's got, um, you know, really nice outlook on the world. So I hope you found that really useful and that you will find it um, useful for thinking about how you can interact with nature and wildlife and how you can also help showcase and highlight the benefits of that to your clients too. I'd love any feedback you might have on this episode or any others. Um, Do come and join us in the Aspiring Psychologist Community free Facebook group. If I don't see you there, I will be along in your ears from 6am on Monday for our next podcast episode. Thank you so much. Take care and thank you for being part of my world. So many
If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.